we looked last week at the texts about the incarnation. Now remember, incarnation means to take on flesh. And we use this term a lot whenever somebody, what we say, incarnates the values of our company. Or they incarnate the values of a church's ministry. We, I said last week that, that we've had times around here where we say, well, this is the way Crossings does it. This is how we kind of incarnate ministry here. And so, so the idea of the incarnation is that God himself took on flesh and became a human being. And so we looked at some of the texts about that. And that's important to know. That's what the scripture says. Now, I told you last week, it took the church a little while <clears throat> to kind of figure this all out philosophically, what had been declared biblically. Don't you think about that now? It took a while to work out philosophically <clears throat> what the Bible so clearly, at least, declared biblically. And so then we looked at the truth of the incarnation. And I suggested <clears throat> several things here, but last week I suggested that one of the things that I see in the Scripture is that in many ways that the incarnation is an invasion. It is not a funny little event or it's not a little bitty baby just in a manger. It is God coming to set up his governance in the world. That's why Jesus always used the term kingdom of God is now here. The rule, the governance of God. And I asked us last week to, in our lives and our work and all that we did, to how could we participate in the governance of God, in living a life that is governed, declared by this incarnation event that Jesus comes to show us how to live life? And that's the great question, isn't it? Whether or not this is just some religious thing or some religious activity or some religious thing to believe, or is this fact, in fact an invasion into the kingdoms of this world by the kingdom of God? Now, I asked you last week to think about that. How can I now live in this invasion? Jesus healed sick. He cast out demons. He took authority over nature. He took authority over the world. And all of those things of Jesus waging war against the powers of darkness. Jesus waging war. Uh, and so we, we will look at Now today, I want to move here to this point, And that's the thrust of the incarnation. What does this mean? Waging war. This, this, if you will, this governance of God. And so... What is the thrust of this, of the business of, of God becoming human? I'm going to ask you, if you will, uh, to turn to the book of Colossians. That's in to go to your table of contents up here. That's where all the pages are listed. The book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament, kind of about halfway in there somewhere, 1124 in my Bible. 1124. We're going to look here at the thrust of the incarnation. What, what do we learn from it? What do we understand about it? This invasion about this waging war, if you will. I'm looking here, if you will, at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going uh, to jump in here a little bit in the middle of it. And uh, you can read before and after if you care to. But in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, <clears throat> this is speaking, I think, to this matter. And we're going to look at this as the thrust of the incarnation is verse 15. He, this is speaking of Jesus, is the image, the icon, if you will, is the Greek word, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, be careful here. I said it last week, but firstborn has to do with rank and authority, not order. Not order. First as opposed to second. The Old Testament says, God says to Israel, you're, my, you're the firstborn among the nations. They weren't. Okay? Not in terms of order or chronology. Firstborn has the matter of rank. 
He's the firstborn of all of the creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body. Now, by the, by the way, look at verse 17. I just <clears throat> draw your attention. He's before all things, and all things hold together. That's the cosmos. That's the cosmos. And then in 18, he's also the head of the body, the church. So you have Jesus as over all of the cosmos and over the church, which is the new creation. The, the cosmos is creation. The church is the new creation, this invasion into the kingdoms of this world. He's the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning and the firstborn, there it is again, of the dead, so that he himself might come to take first place in everything. It's not order, it's prominence. Now watch this. <clears throat> For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. It was the Father's good pleasure. We're going to look at that here for a second because I want to say, okay, so what? What's the thrust of the incarnation? Number one here on your outline, it's the desire of deity. Notice there, that, that's an interesting phrase there. <clears throat> it was the Father's good pleasure. As some translations say it pleased God. It pleased God, uh, if you will, for all of the fullness of God to dwell in him in bodily form. That's a pretty staggering statement if you think about it. That in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead, there in flesh desired or was wanting to live. So I, 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 I think of this thing that it pleased God. Uh, the, the Greek word here, please, that's translated uh, here, uh, says it was his pleasure, uh, comes from two words. Uh, one is you, uh, E-U, uh, which we get the word eulogy, which is to speak well of, right? You know, when you go to a, to a funeral, you, you, uh, you uh, speak well of, you eulogize. That's where the, the Greek word, I've been to a few funerals when it was over. I said, open that thing up. I don't think, I know who's in there. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> I have given Becky specific instructions if she's alive when I go. You better be careful about what you say about me. Don't you start spinning all this stuff out. You know, he was so sweet. Yeah, forget that. But a eulogy is usually people speaking well of uh, someone, okay? And this Greek word here, eu, E-U, is Eucharist. We get other words, uh, eucharisteo, which means to, to, be, to be thankful. And the second part of the word is dokeo, which means to think. And so it's a compound term. And so the translators translate and say, okay, this eudokeo, it, it was pleasing. It was, it was his pleasure. He, he did. But, but you could say he thought it was a good idea. He thought it was a good idea. Because those two words, when you pull them apart, they mean to think good or something that's a good idea. So God said, it's a good idea that all of the fullness of God would be pleased to dwell in him. Our view of God sometimes, I think, gets a little irritated or act activated in the wrong direction that, that this God is somewhat distant or um, 
hard to connect with or like that. When the scripture says it was, God thought it was a good idea for him to come and to dwell in fullness. God thought it was a great idea. It, 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 the translators decided, let, let's just say it pleased him. It was his pleasure. I, I, I think of this when I think of some as we think of a distant and detached God. But the thrust of the incarnation is that God said, I'm pleased to do this. I want to do this. I desire to do this. I think it's a good idea. I thought of when I was working through this just a bit, I thought of John 3.16. Everybody knows that. That God so loved the world. He thought it was a good idea to send his son. See, God, God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. Sometimes we get this idea that God is somehow this irritable, kind of hard to get along with, sometimes this cranky deity. that You know, just kind of watching all the time. I've, I've said this to my students. Sometimes, it, it, or it seems to me, that sometimes when, when we're going through a difficult time, we'll often ask, where is God? Right? I've asked that. You know, where is he? Let me ask you this. When you sin or do something really bad, do you ever wonder where God is? He's right over here, right? He's watching, huh? Yeah. I mean, nobody wonders where he is, do they? Think about that. How twisted is that? That we never wonder where God, we think he's right on top of us, or we think he's right beside us, or he's ready to whack us. This idea of it pleased God to have all of his fullness to dwell in him. Now, I got a question for that. Thank you. That's a good idea. No. <laughs> and I enjoy talking to myself here. I heard what Dr. Briscoe said the other day. He stopped a guy in the middle of a city. He said, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted you to quit talking so I could. That's that, that's that wicked British humor. Again, I'm glad I, I prayed all day would not come to class. I, all morning, please don't. <clears throat> um, uh, that in, in Ephesians over here, if you would look just quickly, just go back a couple of uh, books. Um, I just want you to think about what it says, all the fullness of God. Now you think, wow, is it, how would that be? I mean, uh, you know, I one a great preacher, Gerald Marvel, a guy I heard years ago, he said, you know, when people would say sometimes, oh, I just want all of God in me. He said, you'd be like a 20-watt bulb at the Hoover Dam, just like that as soon as you plugged it in. Yeah, just as soon as you plugged it in. But the fullness of God in Jesus, notice here, um, it's a prayer Paul prays in Ephesians. Oh, you need the chapter, right? Ephesians 3. Yeah, Ephesians, that help. Ephesians 3. This idea of fullness. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, and the length, and the height, and the depth, to know the love of God, or to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God there associated with? Hmm? What's Paul writing about there? That we might, what? Know what? Comprehend with all the saints, what? The breadth, and the length, 
and the height and the depth to know what? The love of Christ. Look here. To know the love of Christ which surpasses that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. How? Love. Look at that. When we say that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, what is that? Is it, is it just power and might? I mean, again, if you think of the fullness of God as power and might, I mean, you think, come on, how can all that power exist in a human body? I mean, I mean it at least begs the question, what is this fullness of God? Well, I want to suggest to you that Paul is helping us here to say, look, I'm praying that you'll understand the height and the depth and the length and the width and to know the love of Christ. I love the way he says it. The love that surpasses knowledge. So you can't just figure this out in your head. You can't just figure this out in your brain. It's to know something that surpasses knowledge. And to be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's, the, here's what I'm saying. This invasion. Now what? Well, now what is that the, the deity desired that the fullness of God would dwell in Jesus. And Paul is praying that we would be filled with the fullness of that. That's crazy talk when you think about it. I mean, when you think about it, that our lives, that's why Paul's praying for this. He said, I'm praying for you in this area. I pray this prayer often for me. And you too sometimes. You, know, you need it. I, I, I'm serious. I, I take this prayer and I just say, you know, and I told you a few weeks ago, I, I tried helping a student out, and they didn't appreciate it. it. Made me mad. I mean, I was helpful in a really helpful kind of way. And it kind of messed up my schedule. So, man, you know, I was laying it down that day, being a good Christian, until they didn't appreciate it. And then I got mad. And I, I, remember, I remember driving back and thinking, not in a shameful way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into that. Uh, but I just said this to God. Wow, I'm really not like you, Emma. <laughs> not, not, not in a shameful way. I just said, okay, I mean, I'm not like you. I'm not kind to people that don't appreciate me. I don't love my enemies all the time. I don't pray for those who despitefully. So all I'm saying is it just becomes another piece for me to be able to say, okay, go back and read Ephesians 3.14. That's what Paul's praying for. I bet if he was here today, he'd pray that for you. I bet he'd pray that for me. That I would be and you would be filled with the fullness of God. Which is this remarkable, ridiculous, crazy kind of love. So the thrust of the incarnation seems to me to be the deity desires this. He desired it for Jesus. He desires it for us. There's another passage over here. I think I can find it. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Uh, it's in 1 Thessalonians 3. <clears throat> uh, now go to the right or go to your table of contents. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. And again, these seem to always be prayers that Paul is praying for his churches and for his himself. I'm sure he prayed this for himself. Chapter 3, verse 11. 
Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And for all people, just as we do for you. So that, here's the purpose, he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus. How does he establish that? That he, we may abound and increase in what? It's found in verse 12. Huh? Love. Now, you know, this is, I mean, this can be phony, baloney, good time, rock and roll. Just talk about love, 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 love. <clears throat> I'm writing a paper right now <clears throat> about the substance of love. What is it? It has some substance. I, <clears throat> I remember a few years ago, it's a national prayer breakfast. And Jesus said, <clears throat> love your enemies. I'm having trouble with my neighbors right now, so... I, I said to a friend of mine who works in a Syrian refugee camp who were being attacked by ISIS and other things like that, and the United States Air Force was kind of coming in again uncover. And so I just said to her, uh, Carl Madeiras' daughter, I said, Anna, help me understand something here. Now, I don't ever face what you face. But here's the question I had for her. And I said, how do I love my enemies in a way that doesn't release them to kill my neighbor. Think about this. This is the tension here. You know, if I saw an enemy walking down the street with a hatchet fixing to go to my neighbor's yard, how do I love that enemy in a way that doesn't release them to kill my neighbor? Anna answered that for me. Because this isn't anything abstract or active. No, you know, nobody in my neighborhood yet's come down with an axe. Of course, I do live at the end of a cul-de-sac, and Dan Reineke told me somebody's either coming to see you or steal from you. <laughs> I thought about that. I mean, filled with the fullness of God's love, <clears throat> to love my enemies, to love my neighbors, but to not, and, and I'm using a weird word here for a second, not be silly about this. Okay? This is a serious matter to be filled with the fullness of God's love. How do I work that out in my data where I love my enemy and I love my neighbor? And how do I do that together? That's going to be, I mean, I don't have the answer to that completely. Anna just said this to me. Cliff, all I can tell you is we're very thankful for the cover that the United States Air Force gives us. And we couldn't do our work. Without I said, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand, Anna. I don't understand the answer, but I know that this is the desire of the deity to fill Jesus with all the, or he was the fullness of God in love and to fill us, Ephesians 3, in love. So here, here, here's, here's what I want to ask you to think about application. Here's the application for you. Uh, <clears throat> because this idea of, of Jesus or God's desire to fill is God initiates. So what if you initiated a conversation with another person at work or school or neighborhood to remind you that God initiated this work of incarnation because he deeply desired to save humanity, humankind? What if you, this, just, you know, I'm, I'm saying it was the father's pleasure or God's pleasure. He thought it was a good idea. He initiated this. He didn't wait for us. 
Maybe this week you initiate a conversation with someone. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you just decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I thought this later, I thought, you know what, I'm going to initiate letting somebody in traffic. Now, I'm not saying to do this just to be silly. I'm saying when you do that, think that happened because I initiated it. Why? Because I desire to. I want you to connect that in your own life to say, when I initiate a conversation or I initiate letting somebody in traffic, I'm doing that because it's reminding me again that it was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness of God would dwell in him. He initiated. If he hadn't initiated, it wouldn't have happened. If you didn't initiate the conversation that moment, it wouldn't have happened. If you hadn't initiated letting somebody in traffic, it wouldn't have happened. But you do that. So it's the desire of deity. These all are D's, so help you. I don't do that to be funny. I do that to try to help it um, <clears throat> to be memorable. So you can remember. Second, now what about the, what's the thrust of the incarnation? It's dealing with disturbance. Dealing with disturbance. Now I've got two areas of disturbance here that I want to say that I think that the, uh, the incarnation or Jesus coming in the flesh addresses. Um, the images and metaphors in Scripture tell us something, but they can't tell us everything. Um, there, there are some things that, that are used in, in human language to communicate things to us that certainly they're true, but, but they go beyond that. For instance, when the Bible says uh, that there are streets of gold, some people might argue, they say there really are streets of gold. I don't know. It could be a, a metaphor or an image, if you will, that's being used to try to communicate something. You know, uh, you know, I, I say to, you know, I got a friend that eats like a horse. Not really. I mean, we don't have a bag on his face. <laughs> it would have, be helpful. It wouldn't be spitting stuff all over us. I got a couple of guys I could call their names, but I won't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we say he's eating like a horse. I mean, we're trying to communicate something. Now, I'm not saying that things in the Bible aren't true. I'm simply saying be careful about pushing everything hard. It's trying to communicate something. I tell my students this, it can sometimes not be literal and still be true. When David says, my, my bones are as water, that, that's not true. I mean, it's not literal. It's true, but it's not literal. So there's a couple of ideas here of disturbance, I think, in the scripture. The most, the most common we'll talk about in a minute. But, but number one is uh, what I'm calling relational disturbance. Throughout the, the scriptures, there's this idea... That, that Jesus came to, to restore or to bring about, here's the word, reconciliation. Recon, reconciling two parties. Now what's fascinating about this is that Jesus comes to reconcile us to God, not God to us. You've got to have that clear. Jesus does not come to reconcile God to us. He reconciles us to God. Here again is this understanding of dealing with this disturbance. There's a disturbance here. There's rebellion. There's resistance. Uh, if you have your Bibles handy, uh, let's just uh, look here. Um, make sure. Okay, I got it right here. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians. My Bible is 1099. Go to chapter 5. I've, I've quoted this verse a lot. You, you, you probably know it by heart. <clears throat> it 
in verse uh, five, or chapter 5, verse 17, it says, uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's new creation. New creature is a pretty misleading term there. It's katesis. And it means, see, see what I'm saying again? The incarnation is what is the old creation and the new creation. One is in Adam and the other one is in Christ. There are two things running side by side one day that someday will be a final conclusion. There's a new creation that you can live in and there's an old creation you can live in. That old creation is life in Adam. That new creation. So he says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, they, are new creation. They're in the new creation. <clears throat> and all things, behold, have passed away. New things have come. You know, I used to talk to people. They, you know, they, uh, uh, I, I grew up in a pretty rigid church. And, you know, somebody gets saved. And, and uh, if you become a Christian, you go to the altar and pray. And especially if you cry. You're really in. Man, you're in. <clears throat> you know, you're really in. And people would leave. I had a cousin. They would leave the altar after praying, and they still cussed. Or cursed. Or cussed. I don't know, whatever. Or they still had habits. You know, because everybody told them, you know, as soon as you go down there, all your habits will go. I thought, what a bunch of baloney. And I had people say, well, you must not be a new creature. No, I'm learning to live in the new creation. This is not a personal thing. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. So I got to stop. No, you're, a new, you're in new creation. Now you're going to learn how to live over here. Wow. This, I don't know if this place existed. It's new creation that we're part of now. That, that, that this idea of this disturbance now, that we were in this other one, we'll get more detail of that. So he says, watch this. Namely, verse 19. <laughs> namely, I like that. Namely, or hey, look, look up here, Cliff. Listen to this. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Who, how is that going now? What, what's the direction in that? Us to him. Right? That's, look at the direction. God was reconciling the world. We're the problem. It's not his. He, he's not hung up. He's not cranky. He's not well, the one who reconciled. He's not, well, I tell you what, if you don't get straightened up, we're done. He said, come on. He's reconciling us. Watch this. No, this is crazy. Not counting their sins against them. Hmm. Not holding it against you. To be reconciled to him. That's an interesting thought. See, there's this relational disturbance. That, that we're in opposition to him. We, we don't want him to tell us what to do. We, we want to live in the old creation. We want to decide how things are done. We're going to be the boss. God said, no, no, no. I'm, I'm coming to you to reconcile you to me. I'm already reconciled to you. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world or to, to, to condemn. He came to save it. I don't think we talk enough about this. This reconciling idea that, that Jesus came to reconcile us. To Here's my observation. I could be wrong. Thoughts and opinions as a teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across community churches, elders, or leadership. Uh, there's a kind of a transactional understanding of salvation. Pray the prayer. 
go in the water, you're done. <clears throat> right? Pray the prayer, sign the card, make the decision, you know, whatever you want to call it. Go in the water, get baptized, and we're done. Now, you know, nobody would say it like that, but basically, um, that's it. And I've observed this with my students, most specifically, is this kind of transactional kind of thing that happens. Never seems to get to the point that they are ever really reconciled to God. I mean, that God is my friend now. That, that God is the one I love. No, I made the, I made the decision. I signed the card. I, I completed the transaction. And now I'm ready to go to heaven. Instead of saying that what Jesus has done has reconciled this relationship. You ever had a relationship that was goofed up? And then it got reconciled? I remember uh, to one time a friendship. Um, you know, I'm a very easy person to get along with. And... Uh, <clears throat> And I did some dumb stuff. And I remember going to them and saying, look, I'm really sorry. I, I, it was really stupid on my part to, to not want to go to a pet cemetery at a southern mansion in, in Louisiana. That person, they nameless. You know what, though? After I made that approach and we got reconciled, things were different. Now we go out to eat again. And we spend time with each other. I just want to ask you something. Have you thought that one of the thrusts of the incarnation is to not just get God off your back with your sins, but to be a friend with each other? Have you, have you understood the thrust of the incarnation? Not just get God off your back and you're not going to hell and you're not going to burn forever. But you've been reconciled. You're friends. And just like you wouldn't do something to hurt a friendship, it, the motive for obedience is not servitude. The, the, the motivation for obedience is gratitude. If all I'm thinking is I got my sins off of me, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to burn forever, whew, that's a good deal. But, but the, the motive, the motivation for my obedience is not servitude. Boy, if I don't do this, he's going to crack me over. It's gratitude for friendship. We've got to recover that. This thing's getting too uh, 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 transactional. It's getting too, uh, uh, too defined. Like, pray this prayer, say this thing, do this. I remember I told you before, Steve Turner, I met a guy years ago, and, and we went and shared with him, and He's going to kill himself, and he had a Harley Davidson motorcycle that he was going to do it on. And we talked for a while, and and uh, I just said to him, "I don't have any real desire to share the gospel with you. I'm a little weird." And I said, "Because I'm convinced that all you want is your wife back, and that's not what this is about. It's not what it's about. That's all you want. Go talk to a counselor, or go." Spend some more money on her. That's not what this is about. This is about you deciding who's going to run your life from now on. It's about who you decide who's the Lord of your life. You're in this position because you've been in the old creation. Okay? You want to stay there? You can. Or you can make a transfer and you can get in the new creation. 
So he kind of tightened up. And then I felt the Lord say, go ahead. So as I'm sharing the gospel and going through it, and then we got through it, and I said, okay, pray. I mean, I was trained to tell people what to say, weren't you? Now repeat after me. You know, I don't do that. I just don't do that. I mean, you know, if, 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 uh, you know, Daryl stole Eric's glasses and, and, and we got together, I wouldn't say, okay, now, Daryl, say to, to Eric, dear Eric, dear Eric, I'm sorry I stole your glasses. You know, I, why would I not have to do that? Huh? What? He can talk, but why would I not need to tell him what to say? Huh? He, why? He knows what he's done. You with me? So I told the guy, I don't know what you've done, but you do. I don't know how you've lived, but you do. So you need to talk to God. If, 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 if I haven't helped him understand where this is, I can't give him a bunch of magic words. I'm a terrible person. I, I, when I think of this, y'all may not come back to Sunday school, but when I think of this, I think of Monty Python and the Bridge of Doom. You just got to have the right words to get across. What are the different kind of sparrows in Africa? The winged sparrow or, the, you know, so... It was nice seeing you. <laughs> the bridge of doom. You know, so that's what we've done. We've, instead of, instead of this disturbance getting dealt with, this relationship, everybody's going to go watch Monty, but don't do that. Now I've incited a whole church to sin. We've not said the thrust of this was that God became flesh in Jesus to reconcile us in friendship. And so we're gritting our teeth all our Christian life to do the right thing. Instead of saying, and I want to be careful with this word. I wrote it in my journal today. I want to please God. Not like I have to please him to get him to like me. Not like I please him. It's sort of like I want to please Becky. I love her. She's been the best thing ever happened to me besides Jesus. And, and I want to please her. Not out of some duty, but out, not out of servitude, but gratitude. So with Jesus coming to deal with this disturbance, to reconcile us to the Father. To say, I want to be your friend. I want us to have a relationship. To me, this is the key understanding, if you will, that the New Testament seems to keep going at and going at, and I don't hear much about it's he died on the cross to forgive us our sins. He died on the cross so we wouldn't go to hell. He took our We're going to get to that. But why? So we could be friends. I want to tell you, I've just found that's a motor in my life. That when I'm living my life to say, Cliff, who do you want to please? Who's your best friend? Who's the one you're motivated to honor? Not, if you do this, you might go to hell. If you do this, you're going to get in trouble. If you do this, you're, you're, you're not a good Christian. That's that transactional thing instead of relation. So, so Paul says, God was reconciling us to himself. This relation. Look, look here again. Uh, you're, you're in 2 Corinthians. Go left. 
Go to Romans again, real quick. This idea of a relational disturbance. We're running the show. We're, we're, we're deciding we're going to live in the old creation where Adam and human intellect and human ability is how we live. Or we're going to live in the new creation. This invasion that's now made available. In Romans 5, this, this is a really familiar passage, but I'd just like for you to look at it with this idea of, of, of dealing with this disturbance. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while you're at sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than that, uh, 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 he died. Oh, back up, Cliff. Back up. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person, someone dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies... While we were enemies, what were we? We were enemies. We were what? Reconciled to God through his death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. God, your friend? Are you a friend of God? Do you know that's the thing that he wants? He wants friendship with you. He wants life to be a wonderful journey of learning how to live in this new creation where things work, where life works because of the new creation. I just want to leave that idea with you. I, I don't see as much reconciliation in my students' lives as much as, oh, oh yeah, I prayed the prayer. Yeah, yeah, I, I prayed the prayer. Uh -huh. And I got baptized. And I go to church. And I listen to Christian music every once in a while. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but are you reconciled? Is there a relationship here? Is there a sense in which I'm living my life now with my friend? Well, um, I... I got something here to think about. You have something to think about. I, I want to give you one more thing. We're not going to finish it. We're, I just want to deal with this matter of disturbance. There is a debt disturbance. We're going to not do that today. But there is this matter of, in Scripture, of debt. or payment, and, and this is one of the more thorny. I know it sounds simple, but it is very thorny. So theologians have been working through this for years about payment, about the idea of debt. And yet the language is there. And it's, uh, it's not simple. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to even begin to try to dig it out today. One of the things I loved about Dr. Briscoe is every time I heard him speak, he never finished. <laughs> My kind of guy. I loved it. I thought, you mean you never finish? Oh, rarely, yeah. Good. That's a wonderful thing. I, I, I think, now, we'll deal with this next week, but, I mean, this is something we deal with all the time. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid my, I understand that. And we've got to deal with it. But the reason I want to deal with this after is I, I really want to force into our thinking our, 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 our relationship disturbance. 
That's the one I want you to leave with today. That Jesus Christ came in the fullness of God, the fullness of love, to make us his friends. To be reconciled to him. I don't know what your view of God is. I, I know we've all got different ones, and it, it, it has an effect on us. I mean, I've taught on this lots of times. But just when we leave today, remember this. Colossians 1, it pleased the Father to do this. He was happy. He thought it was a good idea. You do a keo. He thought it was a great idea. And God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins. Are you part of that? Not counting your sins against you. But saying, I'm willing to forgive you. I want to forgive you. That's why I'm here, to forgive you. Now, I leave one little thing to kind of gnaw at your brain. I like that. You know. I'm off Monday, so I need to torment somebody. <laughs> I, I, I still want to retouch this. We, we talked about this before Christmas. But in this debt idea or this forgiveness idea, I want to remind you, and again, this is where the thorniness comes in. Jesus forgave people before the cross. The paralytic that was laid down through the roof. And Luke, he said, your sins be forgiven. And the Pharisees flipped out and said, who can do that but God? Well, I'm fixing to tell you, me. <laughs> and he said, which is easier for you to say, rise up and walk? Or your sins be forgiven? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on the earth. Get up. So, uh, why don't you chew on that a little bit? And the reason they said he committed blasphemy because he, he said he could forgive sins. He did, right then. What is this debt? What is this idea of the cross, the debt at the cross, the, the, the incarnation in which Jesus gives his life for what? It's the great question, Anselm. Asked back in the 13th century, who is this man and what is he doing? That's a good thought, huh? It, it, it might start shaving away some of your ideas that, that God is somehow trapped by some law to be able to forgive you. He's not. He's God. There's nothing greater than him. We just ought to think about that. My job is to not tell you what you know, but to irritate you just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know. So I want you to think about that. The relational disturbance and the debt disturbance. And we did it next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, the older I get, the bigger you get. The more I know, the less I know. Not in some ignorant way. I'm not saying that, Lord. You know. But there's so much more to know. Would you help us as we continue to investigate this incredible truth that the Greeks thought were nuts? The Jews laughed about it. That God became flesh. It's crazy if it isn't true. We believe, though, the resurrection and the life of Jesus shows it to be absolutely true.
So help us in our thoughts about you, our life with you, and our experience this week. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.